Welcome to Pickle Me This, the officially unofficial podcast for Rick and Morty on Cartoon Network's Adult Swim. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm Aaron. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 1, A Rickle in Time. Here's Aaron with the recap. We rejoin the Smith family in Season 2 as Rick prepares to unfreeze time after spending six leisurely months repairing their party-ravaged house and otherwise fucking around town. Rick warns his grandkids that time might be a little weird after being paused for so long. To give them time to reacclimate, Rick gives the returning Beth and Jerry a wad of cash and sends them out for ice cream. Morty and Summer's indecisiveness fractures time into multiple planes of uncertainty, and as a result, they battle for their own existence and are hassled by time cops. Meanwhile, Beth refuses to allow a deer to die on her watch, as her servine heroics spark a legal war over a hunter's right to a deer's potential carcass. All right, Aaron, what would you think of this episode? This is one of my all-time favorite Rick and Mortys. Um... You know, the fact that this is birthed out of a continuity that they could have just walked away from, mm-hmm. like that this this ridiculous, crazy, over-the-top visual spectacle, like when time bifurcates into 64 probabilities, it's just hilarious to kind of, as they kind of pan from, you know, to see all the, the, the nonsense going on, like Rick's suicidal shootout with himself, like there's just so many... It, it's such a great playground for Rick's personality. Um, mm-hmm. Him bringing up the whiteboard to prove to his grandkids <laughs> what they're equal pieces of shit in his eyes. Uh-huh. Oh no, this is a long time coming. I, I, it's 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 really good. I mean, the the Beth and Jerry plot line is bizarre and kind of whatever, but like this core concept of the 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 time being fractured and the uncertainty uh is is brilliant and they go for broke and realizing it and it's just it's just fun all the way to the stinger which is also one of my all-time favorite stingers yeah einstein getting the shit kicked out of my time Uh, cops and and vowing revenge i feel fuck with time yeah Uh, it's it's so good what do you think yeah i think this episode is super ambitious in its concept uh i have some fairly minor complaints with like the way it resolves and it doesn't quite hang together as elegantly as some other episodes but man the core concept of the rick and morty and summer adventure is so good and they deal with it in such a an interesting way that you gotta you gotta love this episode yeah i mean this is in my opinion sort of definitive rick and morty it's one like you know there are you know uh the rick potion number nine we talked about the me six episode Mm -hmm um the obviously the 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 council of ricks or rick and rick encounters but yeah this is this is up there with definitive rick and morty if you know if if you're a fan you get to an episode like this you just feel com- so so completely satisfied and the fact yeah. that this is the season two opener you know if there was any like slight disappointment over the fact that we went from council of ricks to house party uh-huh. like this had to shut up a lot of people because it's just as you said inner and it's an ambitious it's entertaining i like the fact that they took it as a challenge to kind of you know forge some kind of continuity after off the non-cliffhanger cliffhanger of last season mm-hmm. And it uh... and it's incredibly risky. Like, think about what's happening while you're watching this on the screen. You've got 
multiple frames of animation going on at any one time. You don't particularly know exactly where to look. You've also got people talking over each other constantly. Mm-hmm. It's a hugely risky episode to air on television because it's so unconventional. It's so fraught with peril as far as like, is the audience going to even be able to see or hear the things we want them to see and hear? Mm-hmm. And I, like the the animators did an amazing job. Uh, there's a lot in the commentary about that. But the animators did a great job. I think the people who mixed the sound and wrote the dialogue did an incredible job. And it all has to be there or this thing doesn't work. And it also relies on a lot of... um, You just have to have faith that your audience is going to get some of this stuff. I mean, I don't want to go like the infamous Rick and Morty copy pasta, but well, actually you have to have a very high IQ to understand, (laughs) but like you have to have a pretty good working knowledge of pop culture, pop sci-fi. Okay. Over the last 20 years, like, you know, be familiar with Heisenberg and certainty principles and Uh, cats and, and you know, like, again, it's like, I don't, this isn't hard sci-fi, but it certainly requires a lot and they don't bother to explain it's, uh, but I guess I, maybe not because like this, this episode is approachable on a level of just like, well, this is just crazy sci-fi magic happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so you don't get the Schrodinger's cat joke. Big deal. Right. Right. It's just, it's like the, the visual gag of all these, jo- these cats is kind of like floating around yeah. with all these vacuous cat expressions uh, is, is payoff enough. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, the more, the you know the more you're familiar with like you know nature and popular science and Nat Geo the more you're probably going to appreciate all the different inside jokes and things and hints and the, and allusions are they're going to um, yeah but uh, yeah what 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 do we want to let's let's get into the episode uh, I I love the paranoia of Rick it, it comes out again in this episode when he realizes that the thing he would never do is the thing that the others are certainly doing. Right. And decides that he certainly has to do it as well. And right. begins shooting at himself. Yeah. And ultimately tries to kill himself in self-defense as, as all four of the, like uh, how they, he's like, get into the cover. No, no, no. Think about the cover. And then don't get in the cover. And he's, he's, he's shooting the cover. All four of them are shooting. And as they're all screaming, is this what you want? You sick fuck for children to die. It's, and they're all like also giggling to like it. Yeah. And and we get to see it all, right? We get to see the yes. entirety of it with the four different screens. The reason he didn't hit the button is because Morty said something stupid right at the thing. You know. Or said something like that took him aback. Yeah. Like you're an angry drunk. Oh, no, he might be right about that. What? Uh-huh. what? Yeah. Yeah. Distracted him. It's, it's, but he doesn't think about that. His, it goes right to like what's been in the back of his mind, which is, you know these way to collapse all these singularities is just to kill all the other Ricks uh-huh. and him frantically building that like nine millimeter with a portal gun and then putting it to his own <laughs> head. And it and just like all these like, <laughs> plus it's also kind of badass that Rick has a pretty good, like he's able to keep a pretty good handle on what he thinks he might be doing because all those shots uh-huh. are near misses for blowing his head off. You sure are. Like he's, he's perfectly matching his future se- or alternate selves like mm-hmm. move for move. And it's very impressive. And, just keeping it all straight from an anim- animation standpoint. And also, yeah. like, you know, when this time splits into four, you know, it's one thing when it splits into two, but, like, keeping track of, like, all the different things, all the different ricks rolling around and stuff uh, mm-hmm. uh, gets gets pretty, pretty tough. Um, and the animation, man. Yeah. I know a lot of it is very similar, and they could probably do some tricks with just, like, flipping stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's so much more animation in this episode than any other oh yeah yeah it seems like this is probably the worst thing in the world the only thing it could be worse is if all 64 dimensions were point of view 
Like, like, like first <laughs> yeah. person point, and point of view. And they were at a party, right? And they were at a party. last season, yeah. So they, and, 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 and each point of view kind of like flip-flops of which, which side they're looking at, so they have to pay attention to staging and everything. Like, man, maybe maybe for the fin- that season, series finale, they can actually try to kill the animators with like... There you uh, go. We, maybe that's something we can do. We can keep track of like the animators' banes. So we can write... It's it's like the uh, the god you know paradox is like can can you think of something so crazy the animators themselves cannot animate it? I think yes. I think <laughs> that's clearly answerable. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to talk about is this idea that Rick chooses to save Morty's sacrificing himself uh, in the process, and you know that obviously turns out hilariously where he, he finds the necklace or the, the collar, he puts it on, he says, fuck you, God, I did it all myself mm-hmm. after begging him to save him, uh, which I love. It's hilarious. But yeah, there's this moment of altruism mm-hmm. from Rick where he decides, you know what? I've I've lived my life. I can do this to save Morty. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to pay the ultimate price. Yeah, it's it's a real thing. Like He thought he was at the end of his rope, and he chose Morty. And mm-hmm. like you could debate like whether the other sixty three Ricks would do that. Um, but this particular Rick that eventually got collapsed back down to the singularity did, and mm-hmm. it's definite. But but it, it's also yeah. I mean, it, nothing that happens later takes away from the fact no. that he did that. Like, there's the, I love Morty's reaction to it, where he's like, "I have this vague feeling yeah, that like yeah, Rick yeah. did something to help." Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also like if I was a, a, a in mind to be a smug Christian, uh, it's also entirely possible that God did intercede on Rick's behalf, uh-huh. and then it successfully that the intercession was successful, and then Rick immediately, once he no longer needed God, renounced his faith in Him. There's something kind of funny about that. That's a completely unfalsifiable position to take, right? But uh, where, where, how much tolerance would God have for that? <laughs> Oh, I like mean, is God gonna step in the next time when he needs it? I hope there's like a season five episode where fucking Yahweh does like uh-huh. he's, he's it's there's he had bigger fish on his the the, the fry, but now Rick's uh, and uh, and you could even do like an episode like like a Wizard of Oz Star Trek six kind of thing where you know okay God does intervene and like try and do something, but Rick's like you know what fuck this it's just like I'm gonna get to the, the bottom of this this being right yeah, like yeah. Like yeah. fine, you're the devil. You still have to obey the laws of science, uh-huh. or what the hell is the universe? You know, so <laughs> right. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm going to figure you out. It would be a neat, nice bookend with with uh, the Rickful things. Yeah, I can, I can imagine a showdown between Rick and a literal god. Uh huh. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, it would be. You'd have to handle it a particular way. I feel like, uh, but uh, maybe not because, like you said, Star Trek Five is the blueprint. You just make. Is it five? Yeah. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? It's, it's you know, I haven't seen those last two very many times. <laughs> I don't know that I've seen Star Trek Five more than one time at the theater when I yeah. originally way back when because it's bad. It's pretty bad. It's real bad. It's pretty bad. Um, I mean, it's got it's got a uh, you know uh, a sixty five year old Uhura doing the alluring feather oh, that's true. feather dance. That's true. I mean, shit. You'd think you'd think I'd have burnt a hole in that part of the VC VHS tape. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of other like little kind of details about Rick's, Rick's personality here, like when the summer's on a line of inquiry that's going to uh, hold Rick accountable for the situation they're in, and he goes, "There's no time to hold me accountable, Summer." We got like mm-hmm. it, I think that was kind of uh, 
um, funny. And again, I just got a real kick out of him proving mathematically that both of his grandkids are a piece of shit. And then <laughs> there's all these complex equations. I wonder if that's just like pigeon math or mm. did someone hire a consultant from like you know, MIT to like, what would like an asshole calculation or pain in the ass calculation look like? You know, what, what would the different terms be? And because there's a, there's some kind of, there's some kind of science happening on that whiteboard. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I don't know. This this is also one of those adventures where Rick isn't able to get them out of trouble. Cause like ultimately the thing that gets them out of trouble is these collars. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I feel like that kind of comes out of nowhere. It's it's one of the complaints I have about this episode, be it minor, though. Uh, it, they just kind of show up. There, There's no really establishing of the concept before these time aliens show up. That and has a lot of them out. Morty, though, doesn't it? I feel like it's, it's Kinda, also a Star I'm, Trek thing where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this can happen? Sure, why not? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I guess Rick usually seems more prepared for it to happen, mm. or or like you get the impression that Rick knew this was a possibility, right? Like, Whereas oh god, here, here they comes just the time up. cops to show up. Yeah, because that's the other question I had is like, absent, yes, the collars fix it, but also the time cop was one of the things that split the time, the time frame into something that Rick couldn't easily deal with. So it's like maybe yeah. it's one of those things where if they didn't have happen show up, Rick would still solve the, uh, you know, save the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and also that's the other thing is like Rick makes a big point about how uh, his grandkids are indecisive, crazy people, but then he's the one that kicks it from 32 to 64 by flathead or Phillips. Yeah. And it's getting desperate. Yeah. And then like when you see the things split that last final time, the, the multiple Rick saying, ah, shit. I, (laughs) I like that. I like that a lot. Do you want to move on to Beth and Jerry's plotline? Yeah, let's do it. This is a head scratcher to me because, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it, it's a testament that this is probably the twelfth time I've seen this episode, and I and it's also the first time that I've actually kind of analyzed it anything more than like, am I being entertained? Kind of way. Yeah. Um, how the fuck does Jerry do all this awesome stuff? I mean, and it's also mm. on the back of Beth being complete shit about fulfilling his fantasies. Like, I I know they're trying to say something fundamental about you know how much like th- this is jerry's idea of working in a relationship uh-huh. um and maybe beth doesn't appreciate that as much but how th- literally how does he pull it off like i don't know it's just and 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 um it would i guess it would i would make me feel better about jerry as like a capable person if i could wrap my head around like but all these things are just wild fantasies the fact that uh you know, Coldstone Creamery would just have a crack team of like remote ice cream technicians that you could bribe. Yeah. So is this with a does this f- have to do with the five hundred bucks? The it's got the, like to be four eighty or something. They, they, yeah, they, they bought the ice cream, and then Jerry's like, "Oh, what are we going to do with the rest?" You know, but but like, yeah, like which was only like twenty bucks. Is that right? Did they spend four hundred eighty no, bucks I on don't ice think cream? So. I think they they spent twenty, and so they they you know had a whole bunch okay. of watts. So maybe they could bribe, but like it's this. This this whole plot is a is a house of cards based on wildly improbable events like I, that we aren't privy to right that we can't right. see like I was in you know like Beth wanting to save the deer because Jerry kind of provoked her in like a poke about like well you know you're really a horse surgeon Beth and mm-hmm. and then like I love her kind of rolling tough on the vet 
Oh, that's uh, a great moment. Yeah, I wonder, like, because I imagine veterinarians have a pretty good sense of humor <laughs> about that whole thing, you know? Because, like, yeah. arguably it's harder to be a vet, a small animal vet, than a people surgeon. Lower stakes, but Lower stakes, I would say a broader base of knowledge required. Yeah, and I get it. Probably most, Maybe, you know, vertebrate I don't know. Humans mammals. are so complicated. Well, also, I'm just thinking most vertebrate mammals probably, like, everything's kind of in the same position. But I know yeah. that's, like, you got, it's like the... The the medicine tolerances is all over the place. Yeah. Uh, you know, like like in a blood chemistry, it's it's probably <laughs> yeah. super important. Yeah, probably so. Uh, that that line where she tells this doctor this this vet that this deer is closer to a horse than you are to a the doctor. doctor. Right, we both know that's probably my favorite line in the whole episode. Maybe well, in the entire episode, with the exception of Rick saying, "If I die in a cage, I lose a bet." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just let me just because of that. Uh-huh. I also like the vet's hypocrit- Hippocratic oath about like I can allow no no harm to come to an animal unless it's an abortion, euthanasian, uh, <laughs> sterilization, or oh yes, of course, ever, the many times I eat meat. Yeah, <laughs> like it's like there's I, I there is there is there a Hippocratic oath for veterinarians because they must to where they also have to be vegetarians. <sighs> it's got to have some pretty big caveats about like oh, yeah. you, you we can't cause harm unless it's going to reduce the total suffering or something like that if, if they even have one it might just be like oh fuck it's animals try not to try not to be too try not to make the evening news that's okay that's the hippocratic <laughs> oath i uh-huh. i will not act in a way that my profession gets drug out into some kind of you know consumer reports feature that will make <laughs> people feel gross about the profession that that's it just just keep us keep us out of PETA's mouth and and you'll be fine uh yeah no i mean it's just this this borderline unreality and um you know the fact that like i guess you as things worsen between beth and jerry the things that they uh uh have to pull out of their ass to kind of have these like little kind of earned but not unearned or maybe they're earned but they have shaky foundations like these little Mm -hmm. reconnections they make where because i I, you know i don't have any problem believing that rick that, that jerry and beth love each other and some kind of like, you know, w- easily to define way. It's just like that's not enough for relationships to work. You know, yeah. it's what I, I've learned in my 43 years on this planet. You've got to have all kinds of other things that go into that mix. So, but uh, yeah, and yeah, I guess one of those things is you got to be there when the other person needs you. And I think Jerry is in this episode. We've yeah. certainly seen Beth be there for Jerry as well, uh, like the Me Six episode. And, I, and, and the, and the writers are definitely covering themselves like with all these like they, they make sure that you know that this is that you know that they know that this is ridiculous like the cold stream creamery guys being like you know these lights are for general ice cream perp- ice cream work or light ice cream work they're not going to hold all night and <laughs> like, what you, the hell does that even mean I, right but it's it, funny it, yeah it's like it's like it, not, it doesn't mean anything and then yeah. when the, the deer scampers off there happens to be a native american there to like mm-hmm. give the thumbs up like yes you return the earth spirit to mother nature like it's all at a certain point and it's like you know fuck it whatever you know we we needed this thing and and we did it and we we took shots at lawyers and hunters and horse surgeons and uh because i also like that the fact that this turns into almost like a star trek plot like you know there's got to be a star trek episode where beverly crusher's trying no i just think i watched it like beverly crusher's nursing this being back to life while the inhabitants of the planet he comes from want them to, to her to turn him over so oh, that they can, yeah, can yeah. be executed and she uh-huh. even so it's like yes this is literally like a a high concept star trek plot about what does life mean and what does it mean to different people and 
the ways you can value life differently. And Except I don't think Beverly Crusher was doing it for her ego's sake. I, I mean... Which Beth definitely is. I don't know. The, yeah. you, uh, I'm working on a, a Dr. E, uh, Dr. Crusher is evil. Dr. Evil yeah. is Crusher. All right. <laughs> Plot as I rewatch Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, the, 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 the last part that I want to talk about that I really need to talk about because I think it's probably the weakest part of the episode for me sure. is when they come back together at the end and Beth and Jerry get home from their adventure and Jerry just lays into Rick and Summer and Morty about their collars. And Beth is thoroughly entertained to the point where all she can do is laugh. Rick is thoroughly cowed to the point where he doesn't even have a witty comeback to Jerry's Sometimes asinine insults. Oh, yeah, they're pretty bad. Uh, most of them are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, oh, great, you made a Power Rangers reference. Mm-hmm. Real good. 19, uh, 1999 called, and they want their cultural reference back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we've been down that road. Let's not go there again. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, so I, like, I don't feel like any of these characters are behaving like the characters that I know from season one. I... Okay, I'm going to put on my my retcon or my my fan plot contrivance iron that smooths out these things and posit that the stakes ultimately are Morty being allowed to continue to do his games with Grandpa. Mm-hmm. And if if there's questions asked and it gets down to like, we had to stop time for six months to repair the damage of the house we caused by this intergalactic rager, and we almost caused all of ourselves to cease existing because of Grandpa and his time crystal theft. Um, that consequence might be might come about. So, like Rick has a vested interest to just take the punishment that Jerry's given now, and I also but, think uh, that I don't know because I've seen I've I, seen him time and time again just delivering an incisive, withering insult about Jerry's pathetic life. Or, you know, his desperation to hold on to his marriage. Just shut Jerry down completely. That's true. And stop asking any questions whatsoever. So I I think he could do that here. I just don't know why he doesn't. Yeah, I, I that's that's like I that's what I think is going through his head. And then for Beth, I've observed throughout season one that she's got a certain artificiality around her when like Jerry's in her good graces. Like she's, you know, like, well, Jerry did a good job playing his part. Uh, so I'm going to do my part of being a support, like almost like a performance, you know, like, like instances okay. where Jerry like wants to have sex with her. I think I'm from the first episode and she's like, yeah, you know what? Yeah. Or whatever. I, there, there's something about like when they're together that it almost seems like they're aware it's a put on like she's hmm. Beth smart. She knows that Jerry's not saying anything funny. Right. But she's on his side because he made she made her he made her feel like a real a real heroic surgeon the way she sees herself all the time. So, yeah, it just seemed like a bit much. Um, I agree. To, for those two things that I sort of take exception to coming together at the very end of this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh and this being a season premiere, it felt like maybe they got too into their own heads mm-hmm. and too into like what they wanted to do with season 2 as a whole and didn't like quite connect the dots between season one's characters and season two's evolution of those characters. Yeah. That, that's at least what it felt like to me. And I'm, I'm not saying that, look, I, I kind of missed the stuff you're talking about with the artificiality of Beth. Hmm. So maybe I'm just not reading well enough into it, but we're kind of like, you know, like this, does Beth seem like her genuine Beth self when she was entertaining a host of Rick's from the council of Rick's, you know, like she's belching to get there. Like she, she seems like she's vulnerable to that kind of like, you know, fit in to you know, go along to get along and like, oh, I'm a kind of a social chameleon in different situations. 
That's part, of, so. part of her character, I think. Yeah, it could be. Um, I, view, I view that as sort of special circumstances. And and also, I think she's a different person around her father than she is around Jerry yeah. uh, to a certain degree. Oh, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, you could be right. There's other things I want to say, but we're going to have to step through the portal. Okay, let's do it. getting geared up for the 6th annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints... Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved the venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away. And I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. So this is the point where we invite everyone to uh, all all Rick and Morty veterans to assemble as we go plot to the future, opening up a portal to Dimension BM seventy seven to access behind the scenes details, trivia, and spoilers for future episodes. If that's not compatible with your carbon based form of life, then get the fuck out. Um, I just want to say so like that conversation we we're having before the break. Um, I think it's interesting because. I've gotten from reading a lot of interviews and listening to these commentaries and, you know, listen to Dan talk about it on Harmon Town that like season two was really tough creatively. Yeah. Because they knew that they had caught lightning in a bottle and they knew that they had this thing that could <laughs> they could lash themselves through for almost infinity and satisfy all their 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 shared interest. And and but but they also were gripped up by that success, like, oh, we don't want to screw it up or, sure. you know, we don't want to get too formulaic, but we also definitely want to pay off some things that we've set up. And we want to have these characters learn and change and grow, but we also want to have it be like The Simpsons, where it's something that they don't ever grow out of high school or they don't. And and that's that's a big challenge. And, and as you saw, like as in your commentary for this episode, like 
the fans pay attention from season one, and when it looks like they're calling her outside the lines a little bit on characters, they don't like it. So mm-hmm. I feel like that they were aware of all that kind of stuff, and uh, it's one of the reasons season two is so good because, like, you know, they they wanted to exceed their own expectations, but it also seems like that they were constantly behind schedule Mm -hmm. and like this episode feels like something that they didn't release so much as it escaped. (laughs) Yeah. They, they talk about how this episode put them behind schedule from the jump. Right. Right. And so like that implies that they didn't have, like, I think if they had time to go back, they would probably have smoothed out some of the things with Jerry and Beth's plot line. They would have probably, you know, like, like the minor, like, honestly, I think the a plot is damn near flawless. Yeah, it's great. I even like what, so we didn't talk about this, but what did you think of like the, the, the Keegan Michael key appearance mm-hmm. as, as we find out in the commentaries, there's the supposed to represent the Langolier kind of time NARS. Yeah. Yeah. I heard, uh, heard them say that and I've never seen the Langoliers, but I looked up the images and yep, they look almost they identical. Look exactly <laughs> like it. Yeah. There's, uh, a, there's also a similar concept they're playing around with this episode of Legion. These these beams oh, really? that can gnaw on time and destroy it that way, so it's kind of cool. Huh. It's funny because yeah, yeah. you you mentioned like some things showing up without any explanation. I'm like, oh, you know, like Noah Hawley's pulling the, the fuck pulling the fuck out of that <laughs> on, on season three of Legion. Yeah, and I don't care too much. Um, th- this isn't like oh, you know, this completely resolves the plot and it's the the Deus Ex Machina, the that kind of thing. But yeah, I I like it. I, I think like one of the best things they do is with the gun that he's got which is just like sentient it chris. seems like semi-sentient uh-huh. or fully sentient being uh-huh. that yeah chris he runs out in the the street and gets run over i always like the concept of living weapons like well, i mm-hmm. really like that old uh the last show uh roddenberry developed where he died earth final conflict they had those skrill that were like you know living sentient weapons that would bond right. with its wear and yeah uh like the concept of you know it, it's not just a weapon but almost like your partner uh-huh <laughs> And then there's they also have that scene where Rick convinces him to turn around so he can get the gun from him, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was brilliantly written. Right, Br- brilliantly, I yeah. can't speak. Brilliantly written, spreading. Yeah, no, I mean because it's it's the hack, most hackneyed thing in the world, and everyone mm-hmm. involved in a scene knows it. But Rick got him on in in, in he's got him clutched in the crushing jaws of reason, and it's like, well, you can't argue with that. Yeah. Um. I also like I, I love the insights into the writing process because they initially vision like this time uncertainty as being like time earthquakes, like like mm-hmm. Rick has fracked time and now it's quaking and there are these random things that would happen that they'd have to react to and them realizing that what really is interesting is their own decisions impacting the either time is stabilizing or time is destabilizing and the act of these, you know, random chaotic humans are, are stressing the time that that is so much funnier. Like the fact that like Rick can have this like paranoid delusion that then splits time in two or that Morty and bet or summer can be standing opposite places. And that is enough to, you know, thwart, rick's genius that stuff is uh is really good and I'm, I'm i'm glad they 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 worked it out because the other thing they point out is that a lot of times what they do in rick and morty is lampoon existing time tropes you know mm-hmm. um and here they are to the best of their knowledge and my knowledge too kind of inventing one like this none of this stuff about you know, if you freeze time for too long, it destabilizes it, and it mm-hmm. can further be destabilized by uncertainty, and it ties into the Heisenberg uncertainty principles. That's just them riffing on, 
you know, shit that they've seen in, in P- PBS Nova documentaries. Yeah, DuckTales didn't do that shit. No, no. I mean, st- n- not the in they did is 27 episodes and 19 films of Star Trek done this. <laughs> like, that's pretty fucking impressive. Like, the, yeah. The, you, can, you can make your own. And it's not even on time travel. It's just on, like, the concept of manipulating time. Uh-huh. Although they like did it. freeze time in DuckTales. I think they did that. They did, yeah, and they won yeah. us off a baseball game. and Yeah, yeah. yeah. They yeah. did a lot of other shit, too. Try for six months. Yeah. He's just doing it for an afternoon. That's that's tiddlywinks. Ducks Dewey, will never be the same. Louie, Huey, fucking amateurs. Uh, one other point that I got out of this is um, this was kind of like a Mr. Show reunion. They had Paul F. Tompkins oh, yeah. uh, voicing, I think it was the lawyer, or it could have been the hunter and Jill Talley. Mm-hmm. Uh, another series regular. I do. You, are you a big fan of Mr. Show? I've never seen it. No, I've only seen like uh, out of context clips. Like there's a they're like the fuck yeah that wide. That's a Mr. Show reference. Okay, right? I have seen that one. So it's like that. I, I've seen that passed around, but I, it's one of those things where I kind of want to um, sit down and, and watch that stuff. Uh, yeah, with as many comics say it was an inspiration to them. Yeah, uh, and the work they're doing now. Yeah, you, you kind of want to see it. Pickle Me This is distributed by Bald Move in association with Starburns Audio. It's produced by Jason Smith and Scott Porch from Starburns and myself, Manayron, from Bald Move. All music featured on this podcast is from the Rick and Morty soundtrack, available from Sub Pop Records. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To discover the many other great shows we do, please check out baldmove.com and starburns.audio. If you appreciate what we do and want to directly support us, consider joining our club at club.baldmove.com to get access to exclusive bonus audio and video features. Finally, you can follow us on your favorite social media at Bald Move. See you next time.